Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series entitled Hearing God. During this month of July, we hope to rekindle a hunger within us to hear God's voice and listen and respond to Him. Thanks for joining us. I'm Michael. And I'm Autumn. And we're at the DeVosses. The most challenging thing for me about hearing God in community is probably the fact that it goes against whatever I'm thinking in that moment. Not always. It's sometimes very affirming, but I think the hard times is when it goes against me and I have to find the humility to accept it. Community has felt like a safe place to hear what the truth of what God's Word is. As I'm disentangling these lies of like, well, why would a good God let that happen? Or is this worth it? And I think that community has felt like a really safe space to ask really hard questions. Hearing God's voice has felt like people telling me like, hey, I think you're wrong. Like, or, hey, that's that's an okay question to ask. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, the things that have been revealed to us are for us to know and the things that have not are for the Lord. And so that's a verse that I feel like someone in community had brought me to and been like, you're responsible for what the Lord has revealed to you and the rest are his things. And in time he might or he might not reveal it to you. And so to have people reminding me of that has felt a lot of like, oh, okay, well, I heard God's voice today because my friend showed me this verse and said, this is this is what the Lord has said about that. I think the best times that I've discerned when the word is from God or when it's not is when it lines up with those other ways that I'm hearing from God uh, through scripture, through prayer. It feels affirming uh, when I'm too in my head I think the most rewarding thing for about hearing God in community is that it just feels like a tangible expression of God's kindness to me. Uh, to have someone speak into a doubt that I'm experiencing or even remind me of God's goodness in the really hard days of parenting or the difficult conversations with family members. Uh, so I think it just feels like God is wrapping me in a hug sometimes when I have a community member encourage me and it's something that's really hard. Once again, good morning, friends. So uh, this morning we are in week four of our teaching on hearing God. And this morning, we're going to talk about hearing God in community, as Mike and Autumn shared with us. So for those of you who are the note takers in the room, each week we have reminded ourselves, if we want to walk in the way of Jesus, we must learn to hear his voice. If we want to walk in the way of Jesus, we must learn to hear his voice. Uh, Something I love that Mike and Autumn shared with us is that sometimes community can feel like the, the warm hug and it can feel affirming and just you know, nurturing and healing. Um, other times, community can feel you know, like it's, it's, it's hard. People sometimes share difficult things with one another. Community can be a place where you come into confrontation with yourself, with God, with and through other people. And both of those types of experiences of community can be a way in which God speaks to us through people. Both of those things can be ways in which God wants to uh, speak to us and use others' words in our own lives. So if you're following your notes, words exchanged in a community 
are a powerful tool through which God speaks to us and shapes us. So this morning, I want to just ask, do we understand the audacity of this statement that God speaks to us through other people? I think we've probably, maybe if you've been in church a while, you've kind of normalized the idea God speaks in in community. We hear God through other people, and and that's great. But do we understand the severity, the audacity, the profundity of that statement? Uh, Ancient Israel did, right? In ancient Israel, under the Mosaic law, if you claim to have a word from the Lord for someone, and in fact it was not God speaking, that's a capital offense. They understood the severity, the audacity of claiming to speak a word from the Lord to somebody else. So do we really mean what we say when we claim that God speaks through us to other people in our community or that God would speak to us through other people in our community? Do we even know what we mean when we do say that? After all, just consider, right? There's groups, social networks, communities, you know, friends and family, right? From religious, non-religious context, all over the world always has been, always will be. Sometimes in those environments, people say nice things. Sometimes they say not so nice things. Sometimes there's things that are said that are really encouraging. Sometimes there are things that are said that are really discouraging. Like, is there any sense in which God wants to uniquely and powerfully reveal himself through the speech of other Christians in community? Is there anything distinct about the way in which God reveals himself to human beings? Do we actually believe that God is is still present in our communities through one another, through the spirit who dwells within us, and that God is still sending us to communicate his word to one another, that it's not just that his communication stopped 2,000 years ago, but that he is still today putting his word on people's lips? in our own church community and in our own context. If you're following your notes, to say that God speaks in community is either a really arrogant and naive statement or it's an absolutely mysterious and profound gift. So uh, this morning I want to tell us that Christians, we have a category, we have some language, we have a framework for God speaking through people to other people on his behalf. We call that prophecy. We call it the prophetic, right? And now immediately when I say prophecy, many of us in the room, you you just imagined um, somebody wearing a strange outfit, living out on the desert, receiving um, oracles, you know, through these ecstatic visions and going around sharing esoteric messages with people, calling down fire from heaven, uh, and doing lots of really bizarre and supernatural and otherworldly types of things, most of all predicting the future. Like they're, they're, you know, some kind of, Um, fortune teller or something who's got the cards for what's coming down the line. And so they can, they can tell people what's about to happen and what's going on. It's apocalyptic, right? Anything that's old and strange and supernatural, we kind of can lump into the category of the prophetic. That's not what, what prophecy is, right? That's not what prophecy is all about. Those things make a splash in the, the biblical scenes that we are familiar with. And they stand out to us precisely because they're exceptional, Right, precisely because they are outside of the ordinary experience of ordinary people hearing God and sharing his word with other people. We think that, the, that that's come to define what the prophetic means for us, but that's not exclusively what the prophetic means. If you're following your notes, broadly and simply put, prophecy is mediating a word from God to people. 
mediating a word from God to people, right? So, so that's, that's a generic kind of catch-all category for what prophecy is, what the prophetic is that I want us to have in mind, mediating a word from God to people. So what I want to do this morning is kind of dig into our past a little bit, our, our biblical um, Christian roots to help us sort of locate ourselves in redemption history to understand where God's word spoken in and through community comes from, and so that we can uh, better grasp how the prophetic operates in our own communities today, all right? So um, we're, we're going to dive into lots of different scriptures here. So if you've got a Bible and you're real quick, you can keep up. But don't worry about like having to necessarily find, find a spot. We're going to be looking through a lot of different scenes in the story of God's life with his people today, all right? Now, prophecy is uh, as old as Israel itself. Uh, the first person in scripture who is called a prophet is Abraham. It's Abraham. Uh, now, Abraham doesn't have a prophetic office, okay? And when I say office, you know, we're talking about um, a, a job, not a room, right? He doesn't have a, a role. It's not his day job. It's not his vocation to, to be a prophet per se, but he is called a prophet. And God says that he can intercede, right? He, he does this in, in Genesis chapter 20 with Abimelech. He says, hey, if if Abraham intercedes for you, then you'll live because he's a prophet, right? So, so Abraham is considered somebody who has a, a mediating kind of role with God. God speaks to him and Abraham can speak in a unique way with God. He hears from the Lord and he shares what he hears with others. So Abraham is the first prophet, but he is only the first in a long, 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 long line of many prophets that God uses to speak through to his people. So many generations after Abraham, Moses is established by God at kind of the headwaters of the nation of Israel. He just led the people out of the land of Egypt where they were enslaved and in bondage. They're kind of moving through the wilderness. They come to the famous mountain where the law is given and all this stuff, right? And it's a scary, there's like thunder and lightning and then fire. And, and so the people are scared. And so they actually ask Moses to be a prophet for them. Like they invite him into this role. And Moses then takes on the, the, the first um, prophetic office, the first established role as a prophetic leader in the community that the nation of Israel has seen. They're afraid at this mountain that if God speaks to the assembly, to them, that they're going to die. That if God's word comes to them directly, it will mean the end of them. And so in Deuteronomy chapter five, verse 27, they say to Moses, go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says, and then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. We will listen and obey. These famous last words, right? But you can kind of tell what's going on here. I mean, this isn't exactly a promotion or something for Moses, right? He's sort of being put forward as like the, okay, I mean... <laughs> We'll send you out, hope you don't die. If you make it, come back, tell us what, what God said, right? So Moses is supposed to be the go-between, right? He's supposed to be the intermediary between God and the people. Uh, and, and again, it doesn't end with Moses. He's not the only one. He just begins the chain. So Moses later tells the people that God will continue to use prophets so that the community will continue to hear from God. He doesn't want the word of God to, to cease to go forth from people's lips into the community, to edify and to build up the community. And so in uh, Deuteronomy 18, verse 17, the Lord said to me, this is Moses speaking. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, like Moses, from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, 
He will tell them everything I command him. He'll tell them everything I command him. We don't have time to get it, but you can maybe just catch a, a glimmer of some foreshadowing there. Like who will be a prophet to end all prophets, right? The prophet of all prophets is gonna come on the scene and speak exactly what the Lord has for him to say. Who would this be, right? So Moses anticipates that God is gonna continue to use the prophetic ministry in the life of Israel even after he is dead and gone. So from then on, the prophetic ministry, prophetic leadership in Israel is established, but it doesn't take very long before the people say, you know what, Moses, uh, that was great. Judges, that's been great. But we would really, really love to not be led by prophetic leaders. We would really love to have a monarchy. All the other nations in Canaan, they've got kings. You know, they've got a, they've got a real government. And that would really work well for us too. So they go to Samuel and they go to God and they say, this is what we want. Give us a king. And from that point on in Israel's story, the prophetic gets pushed to the margins. And the rest of Israel's story, their interactions with prophetic ministry is that the prophetic voice comes from the margins and prophets themselves are put in dangerous situations and they are often rejected by those in power. People do not want to hear from prophets for most of Israel's life. That's a bit of their legacy is the rejection of the prophetic word. And so thousands of years after Moses, Jesus will lament Matthew 23. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. So God over and over again, time and time again, he sends people to the community, from among the community to speak his word to others. He places his word on their lips. Says, go say this, share this, I want them to know this. Sometimes that's a word of warning or of judgment. Sometimes it's a word of counsel or instruction. Sometimes it is a prediction of what God is going to do, but they are basically just covenant enforcers. They are saying, hey, this is who God is. This is the covenant that he's established with you. And this is what it looks like for us as a community to walk in step with that. To worship God as he is to be worshiped, to know him as he is to be known. There can be blessing in there and encouragement in there. All of those things can be examples of the way in which the prophet speaks to the community because God never wants to leave his people without his word. He never wants there to be a community that's not hearing from him. So he's constantly raising up prophet after prophet. When Jesus begins his ministry, people recognize him as a prophet. You know, he, he says, hey, who are people saying that I am? And mostly what he hears is, well, you're, you're a prophet, you know? You're like Elijah or you're like John, but, but you're a prophet. So, so that's pretty recognized for Jesus. Most people don't recognize that he is more than a prophet, but a lot of people at least recognize him as a prophet. Like he, he is like those who have gone before and like most of the prophets before him. Jesus is not well received by those in power. And he is pushed to the margins and rejected. And his prophetic ministry ends the way that so many of his predecessors before him ended. Jerusalem spills his blood and they effectively silence, or I think that they have effectively silenced the prophet. The one whom, you know, Peter said, you have the words of eternal life, Jerusalem 
silences this prophet. So here's, here's the good news in this, though, right? If you're following your notes, Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension are not the end of prophecy among God's people. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. This is important for us this morning, okay? If we think of the prophetic as past reality, as an old covenant feature, something that's sort of, you know, died out, that God's not speaking anymore through people in community, then we are missing the grand story of the Bible and one of the great blessings of the gospel in the ministry of the Spirit. Um, So, what I want to do, because I've just spent several minutes kind of you know, recapping some of the, the story of Scripture on prophecy, what I want to do is show us that there is an undercurrent. There is a kind of minority report, um, a smaller thread of promise woven through the biblical story that gives us reason to hope that Jesus' ministry and his death, resurrection, and ascension and the sending of the Spirit means that the prophetic is going to take on new life and new shape in the community of God's people. It's not the tragic end of prophecy, right? It is the blessed beginning of a new prophetic age when Jesus gives us his spirit. This is the story of scripture, right? So God's intention with prophecy was always to move beyond the realm of a few specially credentialed individuals who were gonna hold a, a prophetic office and with unique authority distribute his word to people. This was a hope that Moses himself had and that he glimpsed, had a foretaste of, but wasn't fully realized in his own generation. But Moses himself longed for this. We're told in the book of Numbers, while Moses is still in the wilderness with people, thousands of years before Jesus, that God gave his spirit to the elders in Israel. He says, Moses, you're carrying a lot of weight, man. You got some burdens on your shoulders. We need to, I need to help you out. So I'm gonna raise up some elders. I'm gonna put my spirit on them and they're gonna join you. And what are they gonna do? They're gonna prophesy. They're gonna mediate what I wanna say to the people around you for the leadership and the building up of this community. And so a couple of leaders are doing this in the camp. And this is new to people who are like, whoa, only Moses does this, right? And now all of a sudden this, God's like bringing his spirit to more people, raising up others and including them in the prophetic ministry. And so some people don't like this. And Joshua, Joshua, he goes to Moses to try to shut this down. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 28, Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. These people are prophesying, stop it. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. This is Moses' wish. This is what Moses wants to see happen. He's like, I don't wanna be the only guy I don't want to be on the pedestal here and get to just proclaim, thus saith the Lord. I want the spirit of God to fall on the whole community and all of us together to participate in the prophetic. That's Moses' desire for people. And the very thing that Moses longed to see, the prophet Joel, over a thousand years after Moses, predicted would come to pass. And so on the day of Pentecost, I hope you're keeping track of the time and everything, right? So on the day of Pentecost, 500 plus years after Joel, Peter, one of the 12 apostles, he's with all the other apostles and the multitude gathered in Jerusalem from all the nations. Jesus has just died, been resurrected and ascended into heaven only days prior. And so Peter speaks to the people and he takes up Joel's prophecy 
The very thing that Moses longed for, that Joel said would come to pass, Peter takes this up. He appropriates it for the moment and says that it is happening right now. In Acts chapter two, verse 17, he quotes from Joel and says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That's these days. And they will prophesy. So do we see where we are in kind of the timeline, the flow, the story of scripture that Moses' desire and Joel's prediction and Peter's announcement is that through the death and the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, through the giving of the spirit that happens at Pentecost, we, the church, have now received the spirit falling upon us and partake as participants together in the prophetic community. This is always God's plan. This is what he wanted to see happen. And now we are living in the last days on account of Jesus' resurrection and the sending of the spirit. And so we are partakers in the prophetic, all of us together as the body of Christ. So can I say that I don't do all this, right? (laughs) I don't do all of this just to give us like biblical history lesson. If we don't understand kind of where we are in the drama of God's redemptive work in the story of what he's been up to in the world, we will not know how to play our parts in the greatest story ever told, the one that is still unfolding here and now. So that's why we need to locate ourselves in the story of what God has been up to so we can see, oh, okay, this is fulfillment. This is what I was made for. This is what God wants to do in our our community and in ourselves. This is what God has been up to all along. So let's ask them, what does this mean for the church? What does this mean for us? Firstly, it means that the formal office of a uniquely authoritative prophet has, has come to an end, okay? So Hebrews chapter one. Verse one, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So we now live in the the messianic age, the age of fulfillment, the age when the spirit has been poured out. So we believe that the canon of scripture is is closed, right? There's not gonna be anybody anymore who's gonna say, "Um, I am a prophet, I have now, a word to say to you, and you might as well just go ahead and copy and paste that, write it down, tape it into the inside of your Bible because it's as good as that, right? We don't believe anymore that God is raising up uniquely qualified, credentialed individuals who are gonna be adding to what scripture has said because there's a new authoritative revelation, right? That office, God's no longer using those means. Why? Because Jesus is the ultimate prophet in whom God's word has found perfect embodied expression. Word in flesh, right? He is that the last intercessor we'll ever need. He is our great mediator, right? There's only one 
mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So he is our intercessor. He is our mediator. We no longer need a prophet to go between us and God like Moses on Sinai. We no longer feel like the Israelites did at the foot of the mountain, that if God's word comes to us, it's going to kill us. Instead, we know in Christ that God's word for us is life, and we are hidden in him. So Jesus is our intercessor and mediator, the prophet of God, who speaks to us and is for us God's word. So there's no longer the prophetic office. But here's the second thing. The end of the prophetic office does not mean the end of the prophetic. It does not mean the end of prophecy. On the contrary, the gift of prophecy has become available to all. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. He goes on to say, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So strengthening, encouraging, comfort for the edification of the church. So, so let's just try to bring this um, long Bible study home for us, okay? Every one of us who is in Christ, in whom the spirit of God dwells within us, has been gifted to build up the body of Christ, to serve the common good, one of the principal ways that we do that is through ministries of the word, right? Speaking. That could look like counsel, encouraging, teaching, but chiefly prophecy, where we speak to one another in ways that strengthen, encourage, and comfort. We may not all have the gift of prophecy, but we should all earnestly desire prophecy because it's through prophecy that God builds up his church. This is what Paul's saying. Okay. So if you follow what I'm, what I'm saying so far, just inwardly or outwardly, you can pat yourself on the back. That's been a long, I haven't told any jokes or any stories and you've, you've hung with me. Thank you, thank you, okay? Let's do this. Let's, let's take a deep breath. Let's, let's consider this together. What does it look like then to practice this as a community? How do we walk in the prophetic, speaking, mediating the Lord's word to one another as the people of God? How do we do this, listening and sharing well with others? So firstly, hopefully you've already kind of caught this, this has been talking, but firstly, there is a more narrow and, and technical meaning to the term prophecy, right? There's ways of distinguishing prophetic speech from other forms of, of word ministries like encouraging and counseling and teaching or word of knowledge. But just for our purposes this morning, I want us to, to, to work with a broader understanding of the prophetic, right? I want us to think about prophetic speech as just mediating the word of God to someone. This could mean, mean a word of encouragement. It could mean offering counsel. It could mean speaking scripture over someone. It could mean sharing with someone just a mental image or picture that's come to your mind. But it, it's speaking to people, hey, I think the Lord wants you to know this. I think you need to hear this. I think it's from God, right? So a word of warning, counsel, maybe even call to repentance, all of those things, all those forms of speaking to one another in community can be the operation of, of the prophetic, okay? Broad umbrella definition for that. All of those words are spoken in love, should be spoken in love, I should say, <laughs> for the good of the person who's listening, rooted in the revelation of God in Christ and illuminated for us by the Spirit. So anytime we're speaking like that to people, for their good, in love, it's Christ-centered, it's scripture-based, and we're edifying the body, sharing words from the Lord for one another, that's, that's prophetic, right? 
So secondly, some of us are wondering, well, can I participate in this if I don't have the gift of prophecy? Um, Paul speaks about lots of different gifts, right? So there's the gift of encouragement. There's a gift of serving. There's a gift of help. Now, let me ask you this. If, um, if you don't have, maybe you've taken an assessment, maybe you've done our, our class at Jenny Jesus, and you're like, okay, well, helping, serving, encouraging, those are not my gifts. Do you think that you're gonna get off the hook for never helping, encouraging, or serving anybody in your life? No, right? You don't have to uh, have as your primary gifting something to participate in that, in the community in all cases. So there are ways in which you can participate in this broad umbrella term, right, of prophetic community, even if that's not your primary gifting. There's ways in which you can still be a part of ministering God's word to people in community and hearing God's word from others in community, even if prophetic uh, prophecy isn't your, your main spiritual gift. So what, is this, um, what does this look like? Well, uh, we, I'm sure we could share lots of stories. I know many of your stories. Um, let me share just one from my own life that um, has had an impact on me recently. So um, a few months ago, I, I go home in my hometown for uh, my 10-year high school reunion. And I was like, oh, do I go to that? I don't know. But I did, okay? I go down there. And um, on the way down there, there's, there's a conversation I wanted to have with somebody. And um, so I, I was particularly like praying to God, like, help me say what you want me to say. I want this to go over well. I want to be heard the way that I intend. Like, just go with me and let me speak your words. Uh, and I go down there, I have the conversation, and it doesn't quite go as, as I'd hoped. And I leave, and I'm, I'm discouraged. And I feel like maybe I failed. I feel like maybe God didn't really show up how I wanted him to. And so I'm just a little bit, you know, I'm in my head. I'm down in the dumps. I'm like, what? Like, where were you, God? Like, did that matter? Did I do anything? Just didn't feel like he showed up. And so I'm discouraged. That night, I go to a... Um, I go to this um, reunion event after party at a karaoke bar in downtown Orlando. And it's like a tiki theme thing. And there's people up on the stage singing Harry Styles. And um, I'm there, it's like midnight. I'm like, all right, I gotta go home. I have a flight to catch at 5 a.m. And uh, so I'm walking out and this, this guy who's kind of an acquaintance because most of the people there are acquaintances, uh, he stops me. His name is what we call him B when he was in high school. So B stops me and he says, hey man, I gotta talk to you. Great, okay. Uh, and so, so I, I sit down next to him and he says to me, hey, do you remember Jacob? And uh, I knew who he was talking about, Jacob Allman. Jacob Allman was a year younger than both of us. And after Jacob graduated from high school, yeah, he was murdered. And so I was like, yeah, I remember Jacob. And B tells me I was his roommate at the time. And I didn't know that. He's, yeah, we were, we were living together and um, we were just kind of a mess. We were smoking a lot of weed and we were just didn't know what we were doing in life and things were a little crazy. And he says, I was already kind of in a bad spot. And then when Jacob died, I just lost it. He's like, I just didn't, I just didn't know what life was about anymore. I was depressed. I just hated God. I was just down in the dumps. I didn't get what any of life was about. And I was just an absolute mess, man. I was like, okay, man, I didn't, I didn't know any of that. You know, we haven't kept in touch. Thanks for sharing. He says, but I want you to know when things turned around. And he says, I remembered when I was like in my rock bottom spot, this conversation that you and I had had on the track in a PE class in high school 10 years ago. And I was like, really? <laughs> and uh, he goes on to tell me, yeah, we're on the track. And he, uh, he hated running and I did cross country and soccer and stuff. He says, how do you like endure running? And I said some cliche about, you know, you just 
keep going when you want to quit or something like that. And I tell him, dude, I don't even remember this conversation. Like, this is not a meaningful, profound moment to me, you know? I was probably brushing you off. And, uh, and he's like, I know, but, it, but for whatever reason, that just came to my mind. And I'm in this, like, dark, dark place. And he said, I just remembered that, like, you were a Christian and, like, you were doing okay in life. And I felt like God wanted me to keep going, even though I wanted to quit and end it all. And so he said, so since that time, I started to get my life in order and I stopped doing drugs. And I rediscovered my faith in Christ. And now I've got a great job and I'm trying to work with my sister who's in a really dark place. And I just want you to know that God used you 10 years ago to sow some seeds in my life. And I was like, you know, Harry Styles is still blaring. And I'm like, my jaw is on the floor and I'm like tears in my eyes, you know? And, and I just, it was, here's what it was for me, right? I'm discouraged, and I go into that conversation. I think, man, God's not speaking through me, and God's not using me. And then somebody's like, hey, in a way that you were totally unconscious of, and that you had, like, no effort at all, God spoke through you. And then B is here speaking God's word to me, like mediating the encouragement of the Lord for me in my own life. Now, look, it's, it's prophetic speech, right? Prophetic ministry in the community, it's not always that dramatic. Sometimes it's much more dramatic. But I just, I tell that story because I want us to grasp, right? I want us to grasp the power and the wonder of God speaking through other people to other people and the power of our words that God can use in others' lives. Like God knows what we need to hear from him. He knows what you need to hear from him. He does. He does. And I know we don't always get the timing and we don't always get the word that we want to hear. But maybe instead of God just inception, planting his word in our brains or writing it on the clouds in the sky, maybe sometimes God mediates his word to us through friends and family and old acquaintances and maybe even perfect strangers. Maybe this is how God wants to speak to us the people that are in our lives. So two questions that I want us to go through here, and I'll, I'll move through these quickly. I know some of you are watching the clock in your notes, and you're like, how is it going to happen? Okay, a <laughs> couple of questions. <laughs> How do I grow in my capacity to share with someone else what I think God wants them to know? First, speak less, listen more. Speak less, listen more. Um, you know, in, in like every monastic community, they all have a rule that they live by, you know? And in all of them, silence is paramount, right? You're not supposed to be talkative and chatty and giggling and laughing all the time. And it's not because they're just like serious people who don't enjoy jokes. It's because they know that um, divine silence precedes and births divine speech. And... If you're somebody who's like extroverted, really talkative, chatty, hey, God can absolutely speak to you. But I just want to say, right? Like God sometimes gives people, and this is, look at Moses, this is the biblical pattern. <laughs> gives people who don't have a ton of stuff to say, just flowing out of their mouths all the time. He gives those people who are shy, who are quiet, his, his voice to speak to others. And so maybe the best way that we can grow in sharing is just becoming a really, really good listener you don't have to be like, okay, I've got a word for you, word for you, word for you, word for you. Just listen, wait on the word of the Lord to come to you and then share that in the proper moment. Second thing, check your motivations. 
to ensure that the intent and delivery is Christ-like. So there are some um, strong prophetic language used in, in scripture. Jesus himself does this. And we can talk about the value of speaking truth to power. Absolutely, that's a function of the prophetic. Um, but I am concerned that, that many times we'd like to go there and say, well, I'm just speaking truth to power or I'm doing this. And what we're really doing is just being sarcastic. We're calling somebody out or we're name calling, right? Or we're trying to mock somebody. If any of that is how you're speaking truth to people, that's not what Jesus sounds like, right? So make sure that the way in which we speak, as well as the content of what we speak, is Christ-like, is rooted and founded in him. Thirdly, don't overpower people with your word. Words have power, right? So don't overpower people with words. We can say things like, hey, can I submit this to you? Or I'm not even sure what this means, but maybe it would be meaningful for you, and you can tell me if it's not, and that's okay, right? Or I could be wrong about this, but here's what I'm sensing, right? That kind of invitation for people to push back and to wrestle with the word with us, to discern among themselves. Um, this is a bit of a silly, but it's kind of also a, a very real and classic example is the Christian breakup is a way that, um, that people like to overpower uh, using God's word. So, so, you know, guy goes to girl and says, hey, I think we just, we'd be better as friends. I think we should break up. She's like, why? And he says, well, this God told me to. Right? And, and now, now you can't argue with that. Come on. That's the trump card. Right? So, so you can't use prophetic speech in a way that shuts down other people's power. Right? To, to listen and to respond and to wrestle and to discern along with you. You don't get to just boom over everybody. Thus saith the Lord. And like everybody has to bow down to your word. Right? So you can't overpower people with your speech. Invite them into discernment along with you. Likewise, number four, participate in a community of discernment. Um, we have practice guides each and every week through this series. The practice for this week focuses in particular on being a part of a community of discernment. So I'd love for you guys to take those on your way out today, but let me just give one quick example from Acts 15. Acts chapter 15, right? So it's called the Jerusalem Council. The spirit of God is coming upon Gentiles. People are coming to faith in Jesus. And this raises big, big questions theologically and ethnically for the Jewish believers. And so they get together and say, what do we do about this? We need some discernment here. And what do they do? They all come together. They meet in Jerusalem. And first they share their experience. James speaks, Peter speaks, Paul speaks, says, hey, this is what God's been up to. And they go into the scriptures and we say, okay, does this fit what we know from the text? Does this align with what God has revealed to us in the scriptures? And they go, yeah, you know what this does? So, so then they just start to go, this is what the spirit is actually doing. Wow, cool, we get to be a part of this. And so they write a little letter to some of the Gentile believers who say, hey, we've discerned this as a community together. This is what God is doing in our midst. In Acts 15, 28, what they say is, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That is community discernment. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So if you have words to share with somebody, like practice this in a community, right? Don't be lone ranger. Like do this with others who can discern and participate in this with you. Now the question, how do I grow in my capacity to hear God in community? Some of us are like, I don't even want to speak. Just let me hear. Okay, that's great. How do I grow in my capacity to hear God? Firstly, get in deep relationships where you are curious and vulnerable. There's just no way around that. You just, you just got to do it if you want to hear God in community. You've got to open yourself up to other people and actually be known in real ways. Ray Orland, he says this, you can be impressive or you can be known, but you can't be both. 
if you've, if you've been in, you know, marriage, coworker group, friend circle, whatever, right? There, there comes a moment, some of you, it's immediately after your first impression, <laughs> maybe it's years down the road, but there comes a moment when somebody is no longer impressed by you, like, wow, and you become a real human being. He's like, man, I know that guy's flaws. I know their inadequacies. I know their little idiosyncrasies. They're kind of annoying, right? Get in relationships like that. That is where people who actually know you're going to be able to minister God's word to you. Two, make sure your community includes the other. The other. Uh, Many of us think that we're in community because we have good friends, and that's great, and it's a gift. But who in your life is different from you in important, relevant ways? Those people are going to be able to see the world in a way that you don't see the world and make that known to you. And God is going to use those people and what they share with you to open your eyes to things, right? Uh, People who have different family dynamics, political views, ethnic heritage, economic class, gender, different generations. We talk about this a lot in our church. You need these diverse voices, not only from the present, like in your own personal life, but also from the past, hence reading books and stuff, right? Like digging into what have people who've gone before me said? All of these voices can prevent us from just living in an echo chamber where God's voice in our lives always you know, conspicuously sounds just like us. You know, break us free of that. Thirdly, be immersed in prayer and scripture. That's when, that's when God shows up through relationships to speak to us. When we're, when we're already attuned to his word in those ways and able to discern what's true, what's next, what's best, what's right. Be immersed in those things. God's word will become clear for you. And fourthly, and this might be for many of us, this is the most important one. Forgive past failures from others and let go of bitterness. Look, don't be robbed of the power and the joy of God speaking to you through other people by a cynical spirit. Uh, Maybe someone wounded you you know, when, when they said, hey, I represent God's voice for you. I know God's will for your life. This is what you ought to do. This is who you are. And maybe they wounded you with that. Some people, they didn't try to. They're just doing their best and they think God has something for you and they shared and maybe they were just off the mark. It happens. We're human. What if we could let community be a place where not only we find the wounding, but we find the healing? Right? Don't give up on the healing. And this is the big thing that I want to leave us with. Right? If we will open ourselves up to other people, if we will become vulnerable with others and open ourselves up, we will be opening ourselves up to God as well. So don't give up on the healing. Don't give up on hearing God's voice in community. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.